On today's show, from the hit series, Two Broke Girls, Matthew Moy. Hello, Caroline Max, where have you been these past four years? There's nobody here. Get back to work. <laughs> oh, look at this fade. I look so cool right now. <laughs> Welcome to the Mike Grand Show, and today's special guest is from the hit series Two Broke Girls, Matthew Moy. Hey, Matthew, how are you doing? Hey, what's up, Mike? Glad to be here. So happy. Thanks. So happy to have you here. We've got a great show for you guys today, and the first thing I want to know, Matthew, is how did you get started in acting? Because I heard originally you didn't, you weren't going into regular acting. You were going to do voiceover. Yeah, actually, yeah. So. Let's start way back at the beginning, you know, so I really was never an actor. In high school, I did some theater acting just to follow my friends, but really, I didn't break out of my own personal shell till I was 14 or 15, and I really wanted to be with my friends, so a lot of my friends were doing theater, so I did it with them, but then I graduated high school, and I was like, well, that's the end of acting, because, you know, I just did it for my friends. I went to college. I was undeclared in fine arts. And I realized art was a lot of work back then. So my second interest was Japanese. I had taken some Japanese in high school, like other people take French or Spanish. You know, I wish they had offered Chinese, but they didn't because I don't speak Chinese. So I was doing well in my Japanese classes. So I finished my Japanese major, had a linguistics minor. I love syntax. <laughs> um, and then, uh, but then my... Senior year of college, I kind of fell out of love with my Japanese major. There's a lot of stuff involved if you want to move to Japan and teach English or something. And it just, it wasn't for me. Teaching wasn't in my eyeline at that point in my life. Now, I love talking to other actors about acting, which is, I guess, sort of teaching the way. But then teaching English or teaching Japanese wasn't in the cards for me. So... I asked my mom, I said, mom, what should I do? You know, I, I feel like this whole college career has been a waste. I, I didn't, don't want to waste your money. I don't want to waste my money because we both, you know, were trying to, uh, you know, help me achieve these things that I want to do. And she was like, well, you know, I know you love cartoons to this day, still love cartoons, watch more cartoons than Netflix. Um, She's like, I know you love cartoons, and I know you've all, and I know you know you were pretty successful in high school with acting. So why don't you try voice acting? Because I really still didn't want to be on camera. I'm really not a front of the house guy. I'm more of a behind the house kind of guy. I just like keeping myself. So she was like, this way you don't have to be on camera. Just try voiceover. You know, because my mom's a speech and language therapist. So she said, and you love you know language. So she, she's like, it'd be perfect for you. So I started. I took an intro to voiceover class and I fell in love with it. So I did that for two years and that was my new goal. I kind of considered it 
you know how some people take their masters in whatever subject they're learning? I consider my masters, you know, kind of like ongoing education from college. So I was, because I did, my worst fear was being one of those college kids who graduated and sat at home for a year, being like, oh, I'm going to figure out my life, you know, just take a year off. I did not want to do that. I did not want to waste anyone's money. So um, I studied uh, voiceover for two years. And during that time, I worked at a pet hospital. Just um, I was a kennel attendant. And oh, my oh, my gosh, when you hear what I did, all my entire job was to take care of all the animals that were boarding at the hospital or that were injured or sick and, and in the back and just to scrub out their pee and pick up their poop. That was my entire job. It was um, a lot of work, but I actually lost a lot of weight at that job. I don't mind losing weight. And I learned, you know, hard work. And, you know, I was working more than 40 hours a week. And I then I was working for a spinal surgeon, answering calls. Just my job was only to answer calls and say, um, I can't medically say what you should do, but maybe some ibuprofen. Yeah, call later, Doris. I'll tell you to take ibuprofen again. Um, but um, eventually I found an agent who was interesting, a voiceover agent who was interesting in representing me in LA. So that was, um, I wanted to make the big move, but a friend of mine, Oh, God bless her. Tammy, she said, Matt, before you move to LA, I want you to save money for a year. Have a good nest egg. So, I mean, that's where the um, kennel attendant job and the spinal surgeon job came in. That's I saved my money for a good year before I made that trip to LA. Finally, I moved to LA. Then eight months of living in LA, I'm like, I'm not booking any voiceover jobs. And I, re you know, it takes a long time to ingratiate yourself into that community so i had the foresight and i was like well i guess i can try to diversify myself and it'll expand my acting chops anyway by taking on camera classes so that's really how i got into on camera found a little small time manager started booking little jobs here and there i put myself on actors access now casting you know you know all the sites and i did everything i could I remember I booked my, one of my first jobs was on iCarly and I got that audition myself on Actors Access. And I remember my first take was so terrible and the casting director said, Matt, take a breath. It was at Nickelodeon on Sunset. She said, Matt, take a breath. You're fine, just do it again. And I was like, I did it again. I nailed it. And they liked me so much on that show. They brought me back. And that was, oh, that was such an amazing job. But yeah, that's how I got into acting pretty much. It was never, um, never my whole life. I've been like, I want to be an actor. This is what I want to do. It was more of a way to make money. And actually, I thought acting on camera acting might help my voiceover career because back then in 2008, um, celebrities doing voiceover it was just starting to become a thing and i thought oh maybe if i sort of become a name one day it'll help my voiceover career because that's what i really wanted to blossom you know 
it's weird how how life works out, you know? Yeah, and sometimes, you know, it's just like you get the stuff that you, you weren't intending to get or looking for in the beginning, and life just steers Absolutely. you in a whole other different direction. And you got in so many amazing shows. Before we get to Two Broke Girls, I want to talk about some of the little appearances and things that you did before then. Um, you were in the movie No Strings Attached with Ashton Kutcher. Yes, so No Strings Attached. The only big movie I've done so far to date. Um, and it, it, I haven't chosen it to work out that way. It just worked out that way. That was amazing. Ashton is such a nice guy. So nice. I think the first thing he said to me was like, Matthew, pleasure to meet another thespian. And I was like, oh my gosh. Um, I also remember his hand was bigger than my face. He could palm my head like a basketball. Um, but he was, everyone was very nice on that job. Um, I remember Ivan Reitman. I, I watched him direct that movie, movie. And when it came out later, I was like, gosh, everything just looks so beautiful, you know? That was a funny audition. That was one of those, um, I don't know, kismet auditions or just one of those auditions where you don't care and because you don't care, you wind up booking it. So I had, a, I had an old flip phone back then. I had just moved to, I think, one of those slide up phones with a keyboard, but I had nothing to do with this flip phone. I had this audition for Chuck and all Chuck was supposed to say in the audition was like, his phone gets knocked out of his hand and he goes, hey, that's my phone. I don't know if you've seen the movie, but that's what I say in the movie. And so I was like, well, I've got this old phone I don't care about. So I kind of in an actory mimey way, so it didn't look too sticky. I pretended that the phone got knocked out of my hand, but I actually threw it against the wall. And I had it at this audition live in person. And I go, hey, that's my phone. And then the casting director, I think, was a little appalled that I just threw my own phone. And so she was like, uh, okay, great. Can you do it again? And I was like, okay. And I threw my phone again. And that was history. I booked the job. <laughs> then another show that you got on was Scrubs during its oh. season. Oh, that show will always be close to my heart. You know, if that final season was released now as a new show... I am sure that show would have gone on for a long time. Sometimes shows are all about timing, you know? And I think that show, because we were season nine of Scrubs that had gone on for eight years and had a finale and concluded, because we were connected, fans really wanted to see that old show, you know? But we had Dave Franco, Nikki Whelan, Carrie Bichet, Michael Mosley. I mean, they're all doing fantastic now, you know? Carrie has that huge movie career. Michael Mosley, one of the most talented actors I've ever met. He's, you know, had his own TV shows. Dave Franco, actor to director now. He has that fantastic movie, you know, that his wife's in. And um, Nikki Whelan, she, she's doing all these movies with like Nicolas Cage and Bruce Willis. Man, that was such a cool, because that was one of my first big major recurring jobs too. And you know, even then, I feel like I was still a little nothing. And to be on such a big set and to look back at it now, we had a fun time. Dave Franco taught me that honey tastes really good with peanut butter and sandwiches. And honey on your chicken nuggets. I'm, I'm still upset that McDonald's doesn't do Ooh. honey That It's always honey muscle. You know, honey tastes good in a lot of things. Yeah, rem remember back in the day when they used to have that little honeybee container? 
with the chicken McNuggets. Do you remember that? No. Yeah, they used to have a little honeybee container, and then they switched it over to honey mustard. <laughs> oh, see, that's what I remember, because I love honey mustard. Yeah. But I got to try that. I'm having that for lunch right I after this. <laughs> you know, you have to try just a little bit of chili in your honey. I like a little Ooh. bit of spice. Or like, there's Mike's Hot Honey. So yeah. good. Then one of my favorite shows of all time you were on, you had a guest appearance. And I think this is one of the most underrated shows on television. It was so fantastic. Is The Middle. Oh. Akiyuki on The Middle. Can you tell us <sighs> about that experience? Man. The people on The Middle, aside from Two Broke Girls and New Warriors, um, they're like my second family. You know, they're one of the only set... You know, I wish I had kept in touch more with my Scrubs family, but, you know, they all had huge careers after so it's hard but the middle i would see you know years after you know every now and then and they because we played a family on the set and patricia heaton she reminded me so much of other moms i knew back in san francisco because that's where i grew up just you know other old school italian catholic moms and i immediately got her you know and Neil Flynn. My favorite thing to do at lunch was just to sit with him and hear him tell stories. I used to, um, I probably got on his nerves doing this, but I'd do things be like, you were in The Fugitive? No, you weren't in The Fugitive. I would have remembered that, Neil. Come on. No, you weren't. He was like, no, I swear, Matt, I was in The Fugitive. Because he's had such a huge career and he was, you know, played first base in Rookie of the Year. So he would tell me all these stories and he's just you know, he would just be telling me them like a regular guy. And Eden and Charlie, you know, one time I ran into Eden and Charlie at Coachella. I thought that was really funny. I was like, hey, right under this huge floaty of like a spaceman. We're just chatting like it was yesterday we were on set for the middle. But, you know, the hardest thing I had to do on set was I had to keep myself from laughing because they were so funny especially Eden, sometimes she'd make, you know, goofy faces as Sue. And I, ha I had to tell myself, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. You're going to ruin everything. Don't do it, man. But that, that was a fun set. Cause I had to play this very straight character. Just very blase about everything. That yeah, was a fun set. It's so hard to keep the straight face. Cause like you said, that, ta that cast is so talented. I yeah. mean, everybody's perfect for the roles that they play on that show. And it's, you know, there is something to be said about chemistry, and they really had chemistry like a family. Yeah. Um, successful shows, I think, do really well because of chemistry. Yeah. Truly. And also something um, that you and I have in common is that you're a sitcom lover. Like, you oh. love sitcoms. And the, the good stuff I'm talking about from the 80s. And oh, the 80s. good stuff. Tell me what you got on your shelf. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I grew up with my, my mom is a lover of sitcoms and British sitcoms and British TV. And I didn't really think anything of it growing up. I just thought I was a kid who liked to watch TV with my parents. You know, we watched everything from start, all the Star Treks to um, all those 90s action shows like, you know, Kung Fu, The Legend Continues and stuff, to, to sitcoms, to Golden Girls, to The Nanny. Um, trying to, oh, to, oh, what's the, uh, Barney Miller, you know, uh, oh man, I think Golden Girls is probably my favorite. But we watched all of them, and my mom would sometimes be saying, she'd be like, Matt, whenever she'd see an Asian person, she'd be like, Matthew, you can do that. 
you should be doing that. You know, and you know, that never really sucked with me, but I just, since I grew up on it, I guess when I got to Broke Girls, I um, was more familiar with the sort of venue of entertainment that we were doing. Not to say it was a very, um, there was a high bar of excellence on that show, but uh, I was, I felt more at home, you know? Yeah, and I remember, speaking of the Golden Girls, I was in a theater production in college of I Hate Hamlet, and I played Gary, who was the agent in there. And one of the lines was, I had to say, picture it. And I was gonna go into a story. And I said, there's only one way to say this line. And that's just like Sophia Petrillo. Yes! I had the largest laugh. Like, if you could hear the laughter of that audience by me, choosing to take that in that direction. It, I mean, it was hilarious. That's, I would have laughed so hard. You know, I tried to do that the other day. One of my friends, she was telling a story and she was like, you know, back in 1983. And I was like, wait, is this a Golden Girls moment? Or I'm, I was like, are you, are you Sophia right now? N nobody laughed. Maybe it was the way I said it, but um, I don't think anybody watched Golden Girls. I was like, oh, this is a sad moment. Sad moment in my life. And then finally, after, you know, you did these little shows, did some auditions and things like that, you finally landed two broke girls. Oh, yes. Tell us how that came about. You know, there were um, a lot of pilots I was auditioning for at that time that year. I remember, um, gosh, I think it was the year before I had booked a pilot with Martin Short. Orlando Jones, Carrie Kenny, who was later on Two Broke Girls, um, David Crumholtz, all these A-list players. I thought it was going to be a hit. It was called Taxman. I thought it was kind of like news radio, but at the IRS, right? Well, that show never um, made it to fruition. Man, Martin Short was so funny, too. Uh, and I honestly think it's because nobody wanted to watch a show about taxes. I mean, really, it was in the name, Taxman. People, when they, people hear taxes, they're going to go, ugh. <laughs> Give me a show about McDonald's instead. Um, but so that never made, and I was kind of bummed about that just because I really wanted to work with them too. But then the next year, which was the year I auditioned for Two Broke Girls, I remember uh, I was going up for all these pilots and nothing was working out. And I was thinking, man, am I... Is this going to be another bum year, another bum pilot season for me? And I remember I had three auditions that day, and Two Broke Girls was my last audition. But Two Broke Girls was the script I understood the most. I looked at it, and I was like, yep, I know exactly what they're doing. I know exactly what they want. And I thought it was a cute show. I did think the jokes, at least for Han, were a little old-fashioned. But we'll get that to to that later because Michael Patrick King he comes from an old school of humor and that's why a lot of the jokes are like that but we had all these other young writers who were able to include jokes like Instagram that's what made our show so um cool we had old humor new humor and we mixed everything pushed everything to the edge but um but I read it I knew how to do it and I remember I walked into that audition room and every Asian guy was there we had a whole gamut of people and um, a lot of Korean actors. I know Justin Chon was there. James Kyson Lee was there. Um, Justin and I looked at each other. I think Justin said this. He was like, James, what are you doing here? 
you're too good looking for this part. Because <laughs> James is such a beautiful man. And he's actually really muscular in real life. And you've got little old me. Um, and, but I went in there for Julie Ashton. I did my thing. I think I was wearing really tight khakis that day because I was getting a little chubby. Um, and she said, Matt, you're batting a thousand percent. Keep doing what you're doing. And I walked out. And yeah, the rest is history. I think I had three more auditions. Usually for auditions, you do the pre-read. I guess that was that what it was. It was that was for Julie. Sometimes it's with the casting assistant, but that was with the actual casting director. Then you go in. Then you have your. No, I guess that was producers or not producers. I guess that was just the main audition. Then I went to producers, which was with Michael Patrick King and Whitney Cummings creators of the show then they took me i think you do the studio test and the network test and the funny thing is i was running into this other actor named eddie shin a lot eddie was in our csi episode of two broke girls if you remember that uh, i think he played the ad or something the ad from pasadena the korean guy from pasadena but that year eddie and i were going toe to toe for every single pilot where so much and what happened was I wound up booking Two Broke Girls, but because we didn't know if it would go to series or not, my agents were still sending me on other pilot auditions. Like I did that pilot, they were going to send me on other pilot auditions. And I'd be seeing Eddie at these callbacks. Callbacks, sometimes we'd be wearing the same thing. Eddie was basically a little taller than me and like the skinnier version of me. And more of a, like a straight man where I'm like a goofy kind of guy. But we'd like see each other at the auditions and we'd just go, oh. and then we'd walk to the other side of the room. Because Eddie's a great actor. Now I think he's got his own show, which is great. But I thought that was really funny. It's like, oh man, Eddie. Because ah. I'd feel weird, he'd feel weird. Yeah, but that's how it went down. And yeah, such a blessing being on that show. I learned so many things. Yep, and I mean, it was a huge hit when it first came out. And what it did have, too, is it wound up having the largest syndication deal ever for a sitcom sold to TBS, $1.7 million per episode. I mean, amazing. I mean, that was even higher than Big Bang, you know? You know, that was unheard of, too. I think we got picked up. It was either in the middle of season one or at the end of season one that we got picked up for a syndication deal. And what that meant was... um, they believed in us people everyone in general believed in us so much they were fighting over the rights for when we reached those hundred episodes we would get syndicated so everybody believed that we would reach the hundred episodes like that was just no questions you know and i think tbs bought those rights and we did you know and there was a huge international um party too for I guess it was for Warner Brothers, or I, I forget. It was there. There was a big deal, and I didn't understand the weight of this made when we were the rights were sold for our show internationally. I just thought, oh, more great things for our show. But when fans start reaching out to me from everywhere, Belgium, Italy, France, China, you name it, they're going, "We love your show." And then I went to this international party at Warner Brothers. It was huge. It was like, I mean, Warner Brothers is a huge, huge lot. The entire lot was this party. It was like a carnival with everybody was painted in neon and stuff. I ran into Michael Emerson from Lost. He's like, 
I just came out of a room. Now I have paint on my face. <laughs> um, craziest things happen here in LA. Um, but, um, and I re that's when it dawned on me, oh my gosh, international, that's a huge deal when your show is sold internationally. And I thought that was so cool. So many big things for Two Broke Girls. And I just thought we were this like little show, you know? Yep, I mean, you were at the height of success there. Everything going well for, for the series. Top of the world. Top of the world. Then unfortunately, something happened to you personally. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about that? I just wanna say life is crazy and you never know what to expect. You know, one of the first things I learned in my voiceover career with um, the president of my voiceover company, I remember we were at a party and he said, Matthew, and he said he wasn't, you know, being, you know, the snarky guy he normally is. He was just, Matt, he was like, Matthew, I want to tell you something. This is a long-term career and you really have to stick into it for the long haul because you never know what's going to happen. What you want may not happen when you want it because he knew I was already stressing out about not booking voiceover work. By the way, most voice actors do wind up booking work in the later time of the year, but it's very common for everybody to stress out around the, that six to eight month mark. Anyway, um, knowing that, so uh, season, I, you know, season one of Two Broke Girls ended. I enjoyed my summer. We came back for season two around, I think, the fourth episode. I don't remember what episode it was, but I remember what happened in that episode. It was the, it was either the movie theater episode where I, pe where Han pees his pants, or um, the one where the gunman comes and he goes, "Not in, uh, not in my house, homeboy." I don't even remember that the line, but I don't remember if that's the same episode. But the weekend of that episode, I had gone to see Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And it was a late night showing and I was really tired. And then the next morning, I was still tired. The next day, I went to Urban Outfitters, was falling asleep at the cash register. I was like, man, I had to go to my agent's birthday party that night too. I left after like half an hour. I was like, I'm sorry, buddy. I got to go to sleep. I think I stayed out too late last night. Then Sunday came around. I was like, man, I'm still tired. Drank a uh, one of those big, tall Arizona iced tea cans. Completely caffeinated, right? Only on my left side. Weird feeling. Called my mom. I said, mom, I think something's wrong with me. Let me, you know, because my mom is always very practical so, I, practical, so I can talk things out with her. I'm like, I think something's wrong with my body. What do you think? She's like, yep, I think you should go to urgent care, the ER, whatever. And yeah, I went to urgent care. I don't remember where I went, but, uh, and they said, yep, your, your brain bled. Um, but it stopped bleeding, and which is a good thing. And I think months later, we found out it was a stroke. I had a big, plain old stroke. But um, I remember when I got back to set the weekend, so I went to urgent care, found out my brain bled, and that was pretty much it. Went back to set, finished the episode, and I told the AD. I was like, hey, I'm not sure what's going on right now, but I'll tell you what's happening. I don't want you to freak out. My brain bled over the weekend, but I've got headache medicine in my pocket. I don't think anything's wrong yet. But if I go down, just know that's what happened. Because <laughs> I didn't know how to handle it. I was like 28 years old then. And he was like, okay, good strategy. And that's what we did. And then the second week, 
I noticed during one of the bits, I do this bit where I like bent down to pick up a magazine. And every time we did a run through, I noticed I was getting slower at doing it, which is strange. That's when I went, oh, Doug, you know, after the run through, I was like, Doug, I think something's wrong. Now you got to tell everybody. And he told everybody. And, you know, what do you do when something like that happens? I mean, um, nobody knew what to do. No, first of all, we, none of us knew what it was either. For a long time, we thought it was MS. Because even though they're two completely different things, the um, after effects, or at least for my stroke, were very similar where my nerves were going haywire and I couldn't move my body. Walking backwards was easier than walking forwards. Um, luckily, the third, usually the way we filmed the show was we would do three weeks on filming and one week off. It took about a week to film an episode. Um, and on the third week of, on the third week the third episode of that run of whatever we were filming it just happened i had one line just so happened i mean this is how fate the world works i had one line and it was to walk out of the diner into the kitchen backwards and i was like this is perfect that i can do that best right now and i did it and yeah it was crazy then i got the plan was I was going to get, I was going to have a nurse come to my home and have steroids injected to me through like a, a squeeze thing. And everybody was like, they're like, honey, you're going to be great after these steroids. It's going to be fine. Everything's going to come back. And I thought the same thing. And then after a few days, I signed out with the nurse. And the only thing I had gotten back was my ability to barely sign out with the nurse my signature and i was like man this is gonna take some work but yeah you know four years of physical therapy i think on wikipedia it says one which is great people think i'm healed um keep that in wikipedia please gets me work um but yeah four years of physical therapy and finally i graduated from physical therapy and you know i'm you know you can tell i can't move my right hand as fast but I'm a lot better than I was. And I'm just glad to be moving because for a long time, I had gotten like 90% weakness on the right side of my body. So was I wasn't completely paralyzed on the right side, but, but for a long time in, in early season two episodes, you can see like, you can see in the trivia, the game night episode where I'm clapping and I'm trying to smile, but I, I don't have feeling in this side of my face. And I'm, literally can't move this hand so i'm like you know like a seal um it's kind of hard for me to watch those episodes i call them the early stroke episodes like season five and six are fun for me to watch but seasons two through four are a lot of work for me to watch back because i'm like oh because i knew exactly what i was doing my main concern in those episodes was walk walking in a straight line and doing it without anyone noticing I was limping. Cause I didn't really want anybody to know. I mean, I thought about it for a long time and it's one of those things. Should I let everybody know? Should I not let everybody know? And ultimately the decision was, you know, our show is doing so great right now. I don't want the spotlight on this thing I have. I don't want to be a victim and be popular because of that. I want my work to just show for itself. And then I'll let everybody know afterwards. Mm. I thought that was an okay decision. Sorry to ramble. <laughs> no, no problem. I mean, you did a great job. I'm happy that you're better. 
and we, we, you know, we couldn't even tell anything was wrong with you from watching those episodes. Oh, really? And That's I, great I, to hear. I didn't, and I couldn't tell anything. I had no clue. Um, yeah. I, I, mean, I was thinking, you know, every choice that you were making was character driven in the show. 100% too. I mean, I, absolutely. It was all character driven, but just in the back of my head, there was always that technical part where I hope this is coming off right on camera, you know? And it, that was the hardest thing for me was balancing the acting with my stroke body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and did you ever find out what caused your brain to bleed? Was was there any way you could have you know, anything? What did the doctors say? Looking back at this, there are so many things. And I just think the best answer really is... Uh, it just happened. It's in the past, you know? I mean, it's so easy to blame it on something else. And when I think about that word, you know, it's like, why did it happen? It's really, that's kind of like blaming it on something else. And I, I just don't like to think about it that way because it's already putting it in a negative light. And, that, you know, when my stroke happened, one of the first things I didn't want to do was get mad at why it happened because it already happened. And the funny thing about... I feel like when something tragic happens to yourself, you kind of don't care about it. I mean, maybe it was because I was numb on half the side of my intestines, but I really didn't care that it happened. I just wanted to get through it, you know? Um, but it could have been, I did have high cholesterol and I had been trying to get that fixed for two years, high cholesterol, high blood pressure. And uh, my doctor, Toluca Lake, didn't want to give me pills for it. He said, you're 27, 20. He's like, you're not, he's like, nothing's going to happen before you're 30. I don't want to give you these pills because you're too young to have these pills. Nothing's going to happen. So I switched to a new doctor and he said, you know, I got to say, I agree with your other doctor. You're too young to have these. Cause I think what happens is with those kind of pills, they affect young men in a certain way where they don't want those pills to affect you. So I was trying everything in my, like red rice yeast. I tried all like niacin. I was trying all these things to lower my cholesterol. And um, I guess it wasn't working because then four months later I had my stroke. And then I called my doctor and then four days later, which in TV time is a long time. He called me, he was like, uh, I think you should go see a neurologist. So I left that doctor, got a great doctor and um, yeah, I mean, there, you know, also some other people said to me it was like the stress from season one because, you know, being on a hit TV show is a stressful thing. And, you know, I read, you know, Amelia Clark. I don't know if you read that story in The New Yorker. She had that whole story about she had her stroke, I think, at the end of season one of Game of Thrones. And she's like one of the biggest faces of Game of Thrones. And she's a female, so she's adored. I, she has like a huge following. Me, I'm just like the third banana, you know? But she was like a star. So I can't imagine the stress she was under. So some people were saying, oh, maybe it was the stress. I don't know. It's just life. But the things I learned after I had that stroke, man, I don't know if I would have learned that if I had never had the stroke. I just learned so many things about life and myself. It's wild when I think back at it. I, I could just be like a, just a still naive little actor kid just going to party. You know, I could have lived the party life. 
And instead, I stayed at home and worked on myself going to acupuncture, physical therapy, you know, all these going to get these blood tests, all these things that kept me busy and not partying. Yep, we're, we're definitely happy that you're okay now. And I mean, you're still recovering, right? Still um, every day a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm pretty much completely recovered. I still limp a little. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the recovery will be a lifelong pro the little bit that's left yeah. will be a lifelong recovery of just so the weird thing is I'm stronger. I'm physically stronger than I was before the stroke. I'm physically stronger, more flexible. Um, but the thing is my body just doesn't move as fast because my nerves, you know, it have been rewired sort sort so to say. So that'll be a lifelong thing to figure out, but I'm pretty much back to normal. Now on the show, I mean, your cast members were just amazing. So I want to go through the cast members that yes. worked with you on the show. So let's start with the two waitresses, Max and Caroline, played by Kat Dennings and Beth Burrs. So tell me about how it was working with them. They're like my sisters. Um, on it, when I truly mean that. Sisters you love, you love to laugh with, sometimes who can get on your nerves, but you know, in a sisterly way. Um, I love them. I love them to death. I just commented on Beth's Instagram. She just posted a video of her, her really nice record player. And I was like, Beth, you got to let me put LEDs in those, you know, little party lights. Got to do it. You know, Beth and I see each other all the time, you know, when we're getting smoothies. Um, cat, we're always DMing each other about her garden or cats or something. Um, I love them. I love them to death. They I always said Kat Dennings was like the quarterback of our team. She has an insane memory. One of the most vivid memories I have is that pilot episode where she has this huge monologue. I don't remember if it was in the cold open or if it's somewhere else in the episode where she's just like laying it on. I think it was the cold open where she's laying it on thick for the hipsters. I believe that was a punch up. And what a punch-up is, is something that was not originally written in the script, but on the night of show day of filming, because we really only film two days. First day is mainly all the technical stuff we can't do in front of the live studio audience. And the second day is all the fun stuff. And I believe that was uh, a live audience day, the second day. And the writers gave her this huge monologue. They're like, oh, you know, forget the other stuff we said. Here's this huge monologue. She looked at it and said, okay, let's do this. And she went through the whole thing, nailed it. And I just went, oh my gosh, does she have a photographic memory? I don't think she does, but she nearly has one. She's amazing. And Beth, she is the most adaptable person ever. She just takes to everything like a duck to water. Really cool. And she's really funny, very goofy. Like in real life, I believe Kat's a little more conservative than Beth. Beth's like the goofball. <laughs> <laughs> and then Earl, who is played by the fabulous Garrett yeah, Morris. I mean, he was on so many classic things. Saturday Night Live, Jamie Foxx Show, Martin. Tell us about him. Garrett's the delight. He and I still get lunch all the time. Garrett's working the most now, I think, out of all of us, doing guest spots everywhere. Uh, 
you should see him when he does his live comedy shows outside of, you know, doing acting. He's just electric on stage. And I hope to be that electric when I'm his age. Um, he has so many stories. He's had such a life, you know, not to get too serious, but he got shot, you know, uh, early on in his career and he bounced back from it, you know? Amazing. He's an amazing human being. Such a nice gentleman too. Oleg, played by Jonathan Kite. One of my best friends, Jonathan. You know, it, it's funny because when we were auditioning for that pilot, I think the final, I think the producer's callback we had, it was me, Garrett, and Jonathan sitting in the same room together. Like sometimes I think back on that audition and I'm like, did they have a hidden camera somewhere to like look at our chemistry? Because immediately when we were all, because I believe, remember there was that black actor who was in Night Court? Do you remember Night Court? Oh, yes, uh, Charlie Robinson. So he was currently, I think, in the room auditioning for Earl. And it was just the rest of us, me, Jonathan, and Garrett. And we were laughing and having so many stories because Jonathan... I was um, up for a commercial that Jonathan had just did, but they didn't choose me. They choose, chose another friend of mine. So jo Jonathan and I were already talking about that. We had the same agent. We were um, spitting jokes with Garrett. We were laughing so much. And I look back at that and I'm like, man, did they have a hidden camera in that room or something? But Jonathan and I are such good friends. I remember after Two Broke Girls, we went to Japan together. Uh, he's the best impressionist I know. He's so funny so nice and i don't know what to say he's my brother for life you know it's it's really weird how life works out and you meet these people that you immediately just get you know yep and then she wasn't there in the beginning but then she wound up being a mainstay she played sophie jennifer coolidge oh jennifer coolidge the only person Besides Beth, but Beth only made me crack because she was giggling. But Jennifer Coolidge was truly the only person who could make me me crack because just she was so funny whenever she did her jokes. Um, Jennifer has this, we would call a, a magic pill inside her. When she opens it up, it's just magical. I mean, do you remember the woos on the show when, whenever Jennifer would walk in? And I forget, what was her signature line? Hey, everyone. Yeah. Or hey, everybody. Yeah. Um, those were genuine woos. From the moment, from that first episode, when she walked in on that set and came in, that's why they actually kept that introduction for her in the show because of the audience response. Really, the, the writers were really smart. Anything that the audience really responded to, they catered to more to those jokes or you know, wrote more of that stuff in. From day one, that audience wooed her. And sometimes by, you know, season six, we'd have to cut, you know, that those laughs out because it would go on for like five minutes. She's an amazing person. Amazing. Oh, so funny. Yeah. What would you say out of all the episodes was your favorite episode to film or favorite scene in the series? You know, it's so hard to say... One of my favorite episodes is still um, the movie theater episode where I pee my pants, but also it, it's a weird 
thing because that's also the weekend I had my stroke, but it was also a really fun episode to shoot because it was funny for Han. One of my favorites will always be the stripper episode where I had the stripper girlfriend because the girl who played her was my close friend, uh, Ali Maki. Um, I've worked with her before too, but so that was a cool little bonding thing. And that was the first time in my life I'd memorized so many lines. I remember I got that script and I was like, am I going to be able to memorize 39 pages? Okay, let's do it. Um, and then, uh, but later on in season five, one of, one of my favorite episodes, do you remember when Han gets addicted to cacao? Do you remember that episode and he has the crazy hair? I thought that was a funny episode because that's where I finally started feeling comfortable in my own skin, you know body issues aside, I was starting to do things creatively. And I remember they were asking me in the run. I remember the director, Don Scardino, he was like, do you still want to do the, the, the chocolate in the mouth bit? Because, you know, having cocoa in your mouth, it's bitter. And it's not a fun thing to have in your mouth. He's like, do you want to do it? Or you just want to save it? And I was like, no, no, I want to do it. I want to do it. Oh, no, no. It was the first filming day. So it was like the technical filming day. He's, and we were practicing. And he was like, do you want to do it for practice? You don't have to. I was like, no, no, no. I want to do it. So I did it. And it was such an amazing thing that I did it because I came up with this bit where he, he puffed a little puff of cocoa out of his mouth as he spoke. And it was kind of like a weird thing that spoke to his addiction, too. And it was just one of those in-the-moment things where we found, like, day of that drew a laugh. So I thought that was a really fun episode. Those are the episodes that stick most out in my mind. Also, the, the day we went to Oleg's apartment, too, was really fun. When we saw it was on the inside, all the lights. I think that may have given me inspiration for my own bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> and then going back to Sophie's character... There was a line that she said early on in the series that um, was popular among wrestlers of the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Oh. She actually said at one point, Caroline and Max were fighting with each other and she's like, ladies, ladies, this isn't the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. And oh. as you can see in previous episodes, I've had some you know, wrestlers from GLOW, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling, and they really loved when that line was said, because this was a little bit before the time of GLOW Netflix happening and the resurgence with, with uh, gorgeous ladies of wrestling. So those oh, wow. really loved, and all the fans, we loved watching that. We're like, yes, GLOW is being remembered in this sitcom with that reference. That's fantastic. I'm so glad that happened. You know, there were so many things that, yeah, I can't even, I don't even remember that joke. And if it was, it was before Glow, huh? Yeah. And it's so weird how things like that happen because sometimes our show was so ahead of the times. I remember, I, who was it who wrote this joke? It might've been Sonny Lee. Um, he wrote a joke about Instagram. Uh, very early on in season one, there was an Instagram joke. Yeah, that I, Instagram I, being for people with, who only like looking at pictures and not reading. And yep, and the Twitter joke, yep. And no, when that joke was written, nobody knew if Instagram was going to be a thing. But our show was always trying to come up with new fun things like that. And now when you look back at it, it's like Facebook. It's a part of daily life. It's really funny because sometimes 
we thought there were some things we thought were too obscure that we didn't think the audience would get. So they, they cut them. I remember there was a whole Uber scene once, uh, an Uber joke. There was an Uber driver and sadly it got cut. Um, I don't know if the scene got cut because of time or because they truly thought, uh, is Uber going to be a thing? Are people going to get this? Because Uber was still so new then. It wasn't in the certain districts. It wasn't even there. It might have only been in New York. So that, but now look at Uber. We never knew what was going to hit and what wasn't. It's just so weird. I'm glad that wrestling joke made it and it, 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 it it's still in and you guys liked it. Yep, and over the years, you've had so many guest stars on the show. I just want to mention yeah. a few of them. You guys had Kim Kardashian West. You've yes. had Martha Stewart, Lindsay Lohan. You had Cedric the Entertainer, Cheryl and- Ralph. Yeah. Um, Jesse Va- Matt. Jack Valerie Harper, yeah. Valerie Harper. I mean, so many people. Can you tell us about any memories of any of them that you have that was really- All of them. And, oh- Oh, I'm forgetting uh, Hal Linden, my favorite from Barney Miller, right? Um, that that was like watching a veteran act. I actually really wanted him to come back to do more episodes, um, because he he, man, that that's like the actor I aspire to be when I'm his age. Because all he would do at lunch was just like study his lines, you know. And he nailed it every single joke. But anyway, going back to the other actors, uh, Lindsay Lohan, remember that episode? She loved our set so much. She actually came to us to the show night of the next episode by herself. There was no one. She didn't come with a crew or anything. She was like, hey, guys, just, you know, want to tell you I love being on that episode. If you ever need me again, you know. So I thought that was great because, you know, we really had a great set. It was really nice to everybody and we all got along. And uh, I remember when Kim Kardashian was there, I don't, I, I think we kind of, we didn't clear the set, but it was kind of just like Kat and Beth were the only ones who interacted because she was such a big phenomenon. And Jesse Metcalf, the DJ episode, that was also a really cute episode, the grocery store episode. I think... I saw Jesse at my manager's wedding later on. He was really cool. And who else? Wait, wait, who else was on the show? Uh, Valerie Harper. Valerie Harper. Yeah, icon. She was amazing to watch too because she was a vet too. And um, she, she was going through, I think, cancer at the time. And I think her weekends, she was... She was like, literally, she was like, Matt, this is, I'm, I'm just going home and sleeping and going to my chemo sessions. And then going, to, I was like, wow. I mean, heart, you never know what anyone's going through, you know? So that was cool. I, I love watching people's work ethic because there's, you know, people on set and what they do in their private lives, you know? But we had so many amazing guest stars. Gosh, when I look back at it, I, I love it when I see my friends who guest star on the show too. Because I was never the kind of person who tried to get my friends on the show or, you know, would send them a secret script. I like keeping a surprise. And I think there's similar mindsets. That's why they're my friends. When they booked a guest star on the show, they would keep it from me. And then I would see them up at the table read. And we'd be like, buddy. (laughs) That's funny. Now, when you look back, let's pretend 
you're really Han and you're running that business. When you look um, at those employees that you have, now here's the truth, moment of truth. Who is the employee of the month and who would you fire? Oh no, I would have fired them a long time ago <laughs> if this was real life. Are you kidding me? I you know, no, I don't think they would have stayed at that job. <laughs> I mean, being realistic. Also, how can a diner survive with only two waitresses? Okay, I mean, there was that brief moment when we had Louise. Yeah. <laughs> and I, that was it. Who worked that, there the rest of the time? <laughs> I mean, it was still a sizable diner. Where, I mean, okay, I mean, I'm thinking of all the places in LA that are tiny like that. They have more than two waitresses. Um, yeah, uh, who would I keep and who, hmm. I'd probably still keep Max because she could do that job behind her back, you know? And it just, probably Caroline would want to do bigger things, but I'd fire both of them. Come on. Now, unfortunately, you know, the series got canceled and, you know? <laughs> and it was a surprise to everyone because it was still a solid ratings performer. Oh yeah. And what I want to know from you is what is your take on that? Was it more in your opinion? Is it because it wasn't CBS owned and you know, they weren't getting back end on the syndication deal or, or what, you know, I mean, Gosh. the stories that they say, but what do you think was the ultimate? Honestly, I have no idea either. I am always just in life, the last person to find out about why things happen. Same thing with New Warriors. I still have no idea what really went down with that show with Marvel, why it never happened. But um, as for Two Broke Girls, here's my theory. Um, I think it was, uh, um, oh yeah, sorry. It was so long ago, I, I don't remember. I think it was because uh, the studio, it it was it was a CBS show, but it was filmed at Warner Brothers, so that cost extra money. Like when you think of a show like How to Be a Gentleman, that was filmed at CBS CBS Studios, and it was a CBS show, so they produced it in house. But they had to pay another studio to make our show, and I just don't think now with all these places that produce their own shows, everybody has their own studio now. It's always a money thing in the end. And I think that's what happened. Also, maybe um, this had something to do with it. We had just finished season six. And anytime you finish a, a sixth season of any show, big renegotiation deals have to happen. All the actors or just everybody who works on the show want a big pay raise. And that's a lot of money, you know? I mean, that's where you go into big bang territory. And there are very few shows that happens to like Friends or Big Bang. And Big Bang was still on the air at that point. Um, so, and also we had never won an Emmy. We are like the, um, I don't even think we ever invited to the Emmys. No, 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 I take that back. We did win Emmys for set, uh, our, our set decorator hey, or designer. Yeah, for set design, I believe. Yeah, Glenda, she won, I think a couple of Emmys. She was great. But, I mean, no acting Emmys or anything. We were never invited. We, we're the highbrow, lowbrow show that nobody wanted at the Emmys. 
Do you think maybe one day there might be a reunion or a wrap-up movie in the works somewhere down the line that everybody would get together and, and just film one final? Oh gosh, I hope so. I hope something. I hope we just finished the Two Broke Girls story. I mean, it all came as a surprise to us when we were not picked up because we wrote. They wrote it as the as if the story would continue. There was no wrap-up, but that would be. I mean. Now with all the sitcoms that come back, like Fuller House and The Connors, I hope one day we have a reunion sitcom where we continue the saga of Two Broke Girls. That would be amazing. And that would give us time to like, have our own careers and go back to Two Broke Girls, you know, our original family. Yep. <laughs> but who knows? They all might be too big now, you know? <laughs> Beth's on her new show with Cedric the Entertainer. That's, so. That's a great show. Yeah. And now what we're going to do is we're going to play the lightning round. Oh, oh, geez. I'm okay. ask you a couple things, and oh you're going to tell me which one you prefer. I'm ready. So, do you prefer Growing Pains or just the 10 of us? Growing Pains, because I don't know the other show. Oh, that was the spinoff with Coach Lubbock. Do you remember? No. Yeah, they had a spinoff where they spin off with Coach Lubbock. It, was, it only ran for like 46, 47 episodes. That's um, a long time. Yeah, but in... And they got a bum cancellation too because they wanted the whole night can uh they wanted the whole night Miller Boyette production owned. So they canceled the show. It's always a money thing, isn't it? Yep. And replaced it with Going Places, which actually had Heather Locklear in it, got canceled after one season, and then ABC execs were like, Well, maybe we should have kept just the ten of us. One of my favorite shows that got canceled after four seasons was Still Standing. Do you remember that show about the family? Yeah. The dysfunctional family with, I think, Mark Atherley, is his name? I mean, that was a great show. Pizza. Do you like it with toppings or no toppings? Toppings, 100%. You got to try jalapeno with sausage and pineapple. That's yeah. a good one. Cheers or wings? Ooh. Oh, I'd have to say wings. Blackjack or slot machines? Mm. Gosh, uh, 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 slot machines because, well, they have to, no, 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 I, no. Yeah, the, the slot, here is the secret. Slot machines have to have the bonuses. If they don't have the bonuses, I won't play them because that's yes, the I only agree. way to win with that's slot machines. Too. Yep. Tennis or golf? I've never played golf, so it'd have to be tennis. Okay. Superman or Batman? Batman. Coke or Pepsi? Oh, Diet Coke. Backstreet or NSYNC? Ooh. Oh. Gosh. Oh, Backstreet Boys. No, O-Town. Yep. Empty Nest or Nurses? Wait, what was it? I've never seen Nurses. I so that was the Golden Girls. So the Golden Girls spinned off into Empty Nest, and then Empty yeah. Nest spinned off into Nurses. You know, I've seen Golden Girls, I've seen Golden Palace, I've seen Empty Nest, I've never seen Nurses. Yeah, I have had, to check that um, out. Yeah, that they actually had, it was um, the other wing in the hospital where Harry Weston was, and Laverne Todd's friend Sandy, who was played by Stephanie Hodge, was there and then she left after two seasons and then Lonnie Anderson joined the cast and then it was canceled oh. for the third season. Man, yep. that reminds that's like how Patricia Heaton's new sitcom was canceled. That yeah. was a great sitcom. Yeah. And then it was just getting so good like right at the end 
to yeah. add Kelsey Grammer in that last episode. Oh. That would that would have totally made the series. One know, of my favorite actors. Yeah. yeah. Boxing or UFC? Hmm. Um. I UFC. I've never actually seen boxing. Funny enough. Rain or snow? Snow. And then cats or dogs? Cats, 100%. I have cat. What would you like to say to all the fans who are watching you today? Um, just thank you so much for all your support through the years. Uh, it's been such a pleasure entertaining you, and I hope I can do it more in whatever, whether it be on camera or voiceover or just making you laugh through YouTube. And how can everybody keep up with you to find out what's going on with you? Oh, you can find me on Instagram, The Moy Wonder. Sadly, my Twitter account is no more because I made a mistake. Um, well, I, I, there was a time, a political time when I deactivated. I was like, I don't want news anymore. And I thought, because when you deactivate your Facebook account, it comes back. So I thought, oh, I can deactivate my Twitter and then just reactivate it later. Oh, no, and then you lost everything? Well, the thing is, you can reactivate it, but you lose all your followers and just all your friends. All You have to add everybody. And I'm like, oh, this is too much work. <laughs> so I just have an Instagram account now. Sorry, guys. The Moy Wonder on Instagram. Okay, everybody go follow him on that. Thank you so much for joining us today. I had a blast. When you Thanks get, for having me, Mike. Yep, when you got more stuff, come back and let us know and we'll all I would love to. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you everybody for watching today and we'll talk to you all soon. Bye everybody. Bye.